Easter is coming up, so this month we are talking about the evidence of the resurrection. For this episode, we are going to discuss how many Christians and non-Christians have unknowingly made an apologetic argument for the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, you are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we are back starting a new series on the resurrection. We are. I'm really excited about this series because the resurrection is um, the main, uh, I would say, argument for Christianity. If the resurrection didn't happen, then uh, we're idiots. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) If it did happen, Christianity follows. Well, and that's why we're doing this for an entire month, because this is kind of a staple in Christianity. It's uh, kind of the most important and most crucial aspect of our faith. Yes. Yeah, and because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing here? Then what are we doing here? And the other thing is, I think that this is the best argument. Um, the, the resurrection is the argument you should start with when you're evangelizing to people, right? It's good to yeah, know God's existence good. and um, know, you know, why does God allow evil and all these other types of arguments. We need to know that because people ask us questions. But the, the best approach, I believe, is to start with the resurrection because if someone becomes convinced of Jesus' resurrection, then you get everything else with it. If, if somebody's convinced that this guy rose from the dead, they have to believe that God exists. They have to believe that scripture is God's word. They have to believe (laughs) Jesus, you know. And so you get Christianity if you get the resurrection. Well, yeah, and it's just important that you would have a good apologetic awareness of the key point of your faith. So I yeah, think it's Yeah, if it's the most important thing, this. you should know the most about it. Exactly. So Yep. And there's yeah. so much evidence. That's the other thing is like, you know, we're going to do this little series. We're not even scratching the surface on oh, how much yeah. evidence for the resurrection of Jesus there is. I mean, it's it's ridiculous actually to to uh to dig into. There's so yeah, much there's, evidence. There's that, a lot of books on this and yes, like he, so much He really material. rose from the dead. I mean, right. he really did. So um, but before we get to that, we got to talk about our coffee tip. Yes, now, we do. Unfortunately, we are done with our coffee mug giveaway. Um, but again, we still want to give co- coffee tips out because it's Christ culture and coffee. And so uh, the tip today, Tyler, is because here in the Valley, it's starting to warm up. It's getting a little hot outside. Um, the iced coffee's coming back. I'm seeing more and more people be drinking that. That's true. Uh, one thing that I like to do is this time of year and, and throughout the summer, because um, usually when I make coffee in the morning, you know, there's always a little bit left. Even if it's French press or if it's the drip coffee, there's always some left in the pot. Uh, after I'm done and you know it'll sit there till the next day one thing that I like to do is take that extra coffee put it in an ice tray and freeze it so that when I make iced coffee I can put frozen coffee 
in my drinks. That's genius. Yeah, so it doesn't water it down. I, I hate when, you know, you get to the end of an iced coffee drink and there's regular ice in it and it's all watery. I can't stand <laughs> that. But if you freeze coffee, uh, then the coffee's just melting and it's not diluting it at all. So that's that's the tip for today. Yeah, well, that's that's really smart. I was actually just talking to one of my close friends about this last mm-hmm. week and uh, it's crazy. He, he told me he drinks iced coffee like every day before he goes to work or school oh, nice. and stuff. And so he's just like, this is a this is something that that he's tried out before and he's like it's it seems to work it's a good i think it's a good tip and the the other thing is you always have that extra little bit of coffee right and you're yeah. just usually dumping it out because it didn't get it didn't get um drunk when it was uh you know when it was hot and now it's the next day what do you do and freeze it coffee cubes coffee cubes yeah maybe we should copyright that coffee yeah. cubes by christ culture and coffee <laughs> <laughs> anyway so definitely use that tip um especially as it's getting hotter all around the country uh this time of year so yep. today um this this argument i think is fascinating tyler uh what we're going to be talking about um, and I want, I do want to tell everyone like we didn't develop this argument. It's from an old book, actually. Um, the name of the book and book, I mean, you could read, you could read this, this pam, it's more of a pamphlet. You could read it in about an hour, but it's called The Evidential Value of the Observance of the Lord's Day, and it's by Reverend G. F. McClear, hmm. and it was written in 1887. Wow. Super old, but this argument is phenomenal. Uh, and if you're out there and you're trying to find this book, um, it's very difficult to find, but I have it and I have a PDF copy of it. And uh, because it's That's so cool. old, there's no copyright on it. So if any of our listeners want me to email them a copy of this book, I'm more than willing. Uh, just send in a, a request, email us, and you know all our contact information's in the show notes, and I'll send you a copy of this pamphlet and that is with a free this copy. Free copy, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's completely free. So, <laughs> so there you go. So if you would like it, please uh, please email me in with all the documentation and all the quotes and everything. But basically. Um, this, this argument is on the resurrection had to have happened because of the Christian church observing the Lord's Day. Yeah, yeah, right. So let's, let's get into this. The idea is, um, when do you go to church, Tyler? What day of the week do you go to Sunday. church? Sunday. Sunday. Some and people Saturday nights, but some people Saturday nights, mostly yep. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday is the common, and it has been for 2,000 years, the common uh, day when people go to church, usually Sunday morning. Right. So um, we go back through time and we say, well, where did this practice start, right? If we're skeptics, we say, when yes. did Christians start this Sunday thing? Um, and so we're going to go back and start reading quotes to you um, from early Christian fathers and on what they said about, about when they worshiped, all right? So we're going to go yes. all the way back to the early 300s. And Tyler, you've got this quote from the Council of Nicaea. Yes, and so the Council of Nicaea, um, they, quote, they quoted about church on Sunday saying, For as much as some on the Lord's Day bow the knee in prayer, as also on the other days of Pentecost, for the sake of uniformity, they shall now stand to offer their prayers to God. Okay. Now, interesting quote. It's, it's kind of on um, church um, method, right? Yeah. Instead yeah. of kneeling, we're going to stand. Yes, yes. And so that's something that's pretty interesting about this because uh, um, in the backgrounds of all over the Roman world, it seemed the Lord's Day as the day of worship, 
they did not defend it or ordain it. They merely kind of referred to it as an existing act. And their main edict is this posture of worshipers by, by standing and kneeling. Yeah, the argument in yes. that quote isn't, this is why we, we worship on the Lord's Day. They're just saying, listen, people people get together on the Lord's Day, and this is how we're going to pray from now on. Yes, yes. So, so it's yeah, it's already kind of an established thing. Yeah, and so that that's just a really uh, defined. Uh, I mean, the Council of Nicaea they they covered a lot of theological uh, grounds, and they they just kind of made all these statements of faith that are held to by the church today. Mm-hmm. And this is something. This is a really uh, reliable source on talking about the importance of uh, the Lord's Day. Yep, and that's what I'm saying. When you get together to to worship, you, we do it on the Lord's Day, right? But again, no no reason why that day. They're just saying that's what we do. Right. So yeah. let's go back further in time. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote from Emperor Constantine. He gave this edict in 321 AD, and he said, Let all judges and peoples of towns and the duties of all professions cease on the venerable day of the sun. So what is he saying? He's saying we're not doing business anymore on Sunday, right? Yeah. Well, wh- why would he do this? Why would he decide that this is this is something that they should observe, right? As the emperor of the Roman Empire, why is he doing this? Um, the interesting thing is, is he doesn't say why. It's like he expects you to know why. Um, but we're, it's, this is kind of like the first Chick-fil-A, actually. <laughs> we're, we're not open yeah. on Sundays anymore, right? Interesting. So he, he assumes it's obvious why they don't do business anymore on Sunday, all right? So again, we don't get an explanation as why Sunday is an important day, but we get, it, we get that the Council of Nicaea says people worship on the Lord's Day. We now get Emperor Constantine saying that we, we are closed on Sunday, right? But let's keep going back in time further. All right. Yeah, so then right here we have a quote from Peter, the Bishop of Alexandria in 300 AD. He said, quoting, We keep the Lord's Day as a day of joy. Okay, again, so in 300 AD, they're keeping the Lord's Day. Yes, right. Okay, well, let's go back further in time. Uh, Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, uh, in 253 AD said, The Lord's Day is both the first and the eighth day. So now we know when this is, right? It's it's our Sunday. That's right. Yeah. That's when it is. It's it's the first day of the week, and it, which would be the eighth day, you know. But there's only seven, so <laughs> it's Sunday, right? That's what he's saying. The Lord's Day is Sunday. Yes, yes, exactly. And so then we see too uh, with Tertullian in 200 A.D. when he's speaking on the Lord's Day, uh, calls it sometimes Sunday and sometimes the first day of the week. Okay, so this is important because. Some people refer to the Lord's Day, some people refer to Sunday, but now we have a guy who's saying Sunday is the Lord's Day, is the first day of the week, right? And then, like I I said before, Cyprian said the Lord's Day is Sunday. So now we've got, we know which day of the week it is, and we know that's the Lord's Day. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's really important to have that there too. But no explanation as to why this is the Lord's Day. Yes. That's okay. True. So let's go back further in time. Uh, Melito, the Bishop of Sardis, in 170 A.D., he uh, put forth a treatise respecting Sunday, um, and Dionysus, the Bishop of Sardis, writing to the church in Rome, mentions its observance very casually without explaining why uh, that day. Um, but again, he also. He in this letter, he's he's kind of uh, leaving it open, like they. Of course, you would know why I'm talking about this. 
So again, we don't have a we don't have an explanation as why Sunday, the Lord's Day, is an important day. And that was in 170 AD. Yes, yes. And so that's also important to know. And then as we like like we said, if we keep going back, we just see more and more about this. So uh, even in 140 AD with uh, Justin Martyr, he mentions the first day of the week as the chief of the first in the first day of days and states that on it is held an assembly of all who live in the cities and the rural districts on the which the writings of the prophets and the memoirs of the apostles are read. Okay, so that sounds like church. Like right. Reading the prophets and reading what the apostles wrote, that's like all the New Testament, people with holding an assembly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, on the first day of the week. Look now again, writings and just just as just as skeptics, okay, Tyler. We're not we're not you know, we're Christians, but from a skeptical view, you just have all these historical quotes about Christians do a thing on Sunday. Yeah. But they never explain why Sunday's important. That's true. But we're just observing, okay, Sunday the this tradition of meeting on Sundays goes really far back to Justin Martyr. Can we go back further? I'm glad I asked that question. Yes, we can. (laughs) Uh, In 112 AD, uh, Pliny the Younger, uh, who was the governor of Pontus in Bithynia, uh, he writes to Emperor Trajan, and he describes Christians as a custom to meet together uh, on, and then this is the quote, a stated day before it was light for the purpose of worship. So, okay, so this is a non-Christian saying they get together on a specific day before the sun comes up, in order to worship, and that was in 112 AD. But can we go back further, Tyler? Oh, we can go so far back (laughs) that we go even back to the apostles. Okay, nice. Yes, and so we see the apostle John in the year 90 to 95 AD. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day in Revelation 1.10. Okay, so he calls it the Lord's day. We've seen other people call it this, but one of Jesus' best friends now calls it the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. Well, can we go back further? Because Revelation was probably one of the last books of the New Testament written, probably between 90 and 95 AD. We can go back further to the Apostle Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 through 3, which was probably written mid-50s AD, 55 to 56. Mm -hmm. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 through 3, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he's, he's talking about how on the first day of the week, when they get together, they need to give an offering, and he's actually going to take it to the church of Jerusalem to help them. So they're already, uh, the church at Corinth is meeting on the first day, of the week, and they're giving an offering on the first day of the week, right? Yeah. Now, one one thing that's important about this, and I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, even atheistic New Testament scholars will say that First Corinthians is a legitimate. Pauline epistle. They'll say Paul actually wrote that book for sure. You can't deny it. He wrote it in the mid fifties when we, when as Christians, we believe he wrote it. Uh, So Bart Ehrman says this is one of the undisputed uh, letters of Paul. Yes, that's right. So in one of the undisputed letters that the atheist New Testament scholars admit, uh, Paul Paul alludes to their meeting on the first day of the week, right? Um, We also see that Paul observed the Lord's Day in Acts 20, verse 7. That verse says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight 
Uh, this is that story when that guy falls asleep because Paul's talking to him. Yes, long. that's he, right. And he falls out of the window <laughs> and dies. And then they go down and pray for him and he comes back, which is great. And it also, as a pastor, gives me comfort because I haven't had anybody fall out of a window and die at any of my sermons. And so that's good. So anyway, I'm better than Paul. Just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> but um, but again, on the first day of the week. So we see yes, Paul yes. observing. They're breaking bread. There's a sermon, his message went till midnight. So um, I think that that's uh, uh, really, really interesting. So we've we've traced back this idea of the Lord's Day, which is the first day yes. of the week, all the way back to uh, the Bible. Now, the weird thing about it... Yes, we never find the dedication of this day of religious worship to be made a matter of question or argument throughout that. Yeah, nobody asks, why are we getting together on the first day? Yeah. And nobody not... says, this is why we're getting together on the first so, day. So that There's just, no explanation. That just leads you to believe in one thing. One, people didn't know why, and they were just meeting on this day just because it just became a meaningless tradition. Or they clearly, everyone in the Everyone knew why. Everyone yeah. knew exactly why. They're like, well, okay, so then Which, why? And I think, I think it's probably everyone knew why, because if people didn't know why, they would have questioned it. Well, exactly. Or they would have started meeting different days. Yeah, so it, it would so, have to be that everyone knew, hey, there's a reason we worship on Sunday. Yeah, but it's accepted by Paul, John, Luke, early church fathers, Constantine, the members of the Council of Nicaea. Right. Why do they assume this is a good day of worship? Um, they must have had some kind of a reason for it, but it's weird because they never defend what that reason yes, is. Yes, yes. Right? Um, yeah. So what were the grounds to justify the observance of this day, right? That's I think that that's really interesting. And when it, it gets even weirder because the, the first Christians were all Jews, right? Yes. And so Paul and John, these are two guys we see talking about the Lord's Day and the first day of the week. They were both brought up strict Jews. Paul talks about how Jewish he was, right? And they observed Jewish customs. I mean, you have Paul saying uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I, right? And he, he even talks about how he was a really, really good Jew in other places. I think you have a, a, a passage that, yes. that, where he does that. Yes, yes. So he says right here in Galatians 1, 4, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And, and that's in Galatians 1.14? Yes, Galatians so 1.14. Th- okay, look at that. Ancestral traditions, more mm. zealous, advancing in Judaism, right? Uh, in Acts 22.3, in one of the speeches Paul gives in Acts, he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of um, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, which is Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are today. So he followed the law, right? He, he was an observant Jew. Yes, yes, he was. And so that's, that's just crazy, just thinking like, uh, like how into this he was. And then you even see, in, um, again, in Acts 23.6, it says, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Okay, so he comes from the from a, a family of Pharisees, right? Yes. So he, he he follows the law. Uh, similarly, we see John is frequently at the temple. He observes the Jewish hours of prayer in Acts three one. John uh, was also an observant Jew. Yes. Okay. So so th- yes, these guys followed what the law says. Now there is an interesting law from the Old Testament that's kind of important for yes, our argument. That's right. And so that's in the Mosaic law, which contains the commandment to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
And it was extremely important to the first century Jews because they were willing to fight and die for the law, which we can see by the Maccabees. Yeah, for in the book of Maccabees, the Maccabees, they were willing to fight and die for the Sabbath. They wouldn't yes. they wouldn't fight on the Sabbath. So they would let their enemy come in and kill them <laughs> because they would not break God's law. Right, right. Okay. So so the the question becomes, why did these guys just start breaking the Sabbath? That, that, that's true. So, like, what happened to this, like, strict Jew such as Paul who had abandoned this tradition? Like, it was kind of, like, crazy that they were so devoted to this yeah. that all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. So Well, he says, I'm a strict Jew. I'm a son of a Pharisee, right? <laughs> I, 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 I am zealous for the ancestral traditions, yes. Yes. right? But then... Yes, but then we see here that uh, he says it here in the, the Lord's Day, we can see that John, as John calls it here in Revelation 1.10, and he connects it this day with a specific person, the Lord, what does that phrase mean? That's kind of the catch to this. Well, yeah, but, yeah. but I mean, going back a little bit, though, Tyler, like, yes. why would they just start worshiping on a different day than Saturday? They're right. strict Jews. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Right, yes. And they're just so there had to, be to something... throw it out. Yes, so there had to be something big that happened. There must have been re- something really, I mean, something kind of like crazy that would make them say, ah, I don't need to follow the Ten Commandments. We can worship on a different day. Yes, Not exactly. the seventh day, but the first day. Not the seventh day like is the model of creation, but we're going to just abandon that and go to the first day. But then get into what you were saying Right. It's amplified more because it's not just the first day of the week. They they specify it's the Lord's day. Yes, exactly. So that's that's kind of like the the point. And so it's like, why? What does this mean being the Lord's day? What what does that mean? And so uh, the, I believe this is the Greek word uh, kyriakos. Is that how you say it? Yeah, kyrios. Yeah, you can say kyriakos. Right. Yeah, okay. The the main word is kyrios for Lord. Yes. Okay. So uh, it's meaning, yeah, to belonging to a lord or ruler. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's kind of the, the idea of this. So it's the Lord's day, the day belonging to lord or ruler. So why would this now all of a sudden be the day that the Lord is rule, ruling over yeah. versus the Sabbath? That's the question. Well, yeah, and, and yeah. it's interesting, too, because when you look at the uh, Septuagint, right, which was a... It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Yes. When they got to the word Yahweh, which is God's specific name, they translated it into the Greek word kurios. So mm. when, when the New Testament writers call Jesus kurios, they're calling him Yahweh. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah, they're it, calling that's him the God. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. So this is Yahweh's day, right? The Lord's day. Um, which is interesting. So now you've got the the Lord's day, and the Lord is Jesus, right? Yes. I mean, this, this this is who they're referring to. They Jesus is Lord. They refer to that um, all the time. Now this is where it gets a little awkward. Um, <laughs> how much do you know about Jewish holidays, Tyler? A little um, bit. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like culturally too. Like we kind of just know some of them, like uh, like Hanukkah. Yeah, or... Hanukkah, Day of Atonement, right? Um, um, yeah, yeah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, all these. Um, you know, the the New Year, the Feast of Booths. Um, right. Yeah. On and on and on. Passover, obviously. Now, this is what's interesting about all Jewish holidays. All of the holidays that Jews observed now and observed um, at Jesus' time and were commanded to observe in the Old Testament, all of them commemorate divine providence, divine interaction, things that God has done in their past. 
It was to yes. remember, right? Don't forget the Passover, right? It was a remembrance of what he did in bringing them out of Egypt, but it was also foreshadowing Jesus. Um, uh, the Feast of Booths, right, was to camp out in a tent to remember 40 years God was faithful to you while you were in the desert, right? Um, uh, Hanukkah even is about that the, the oil in the lamp didn't go out. God preserved it. It's always about what God has done. Jews do not have holidays for great men in the past. Hmm. All of their holidays are about what God has done, right? They don't have an, an Abraham Lincoln Day. They don't have a <laughs> Christopher true, Columbus yes. Day, right? There's no. I mean, think about it. There's no um, Abraham's Day. There's no Moses Day. There's no Israel, you know, Jacob Day. King David Day, nothing like that. They don't have any mm. holidays for for people. All of their holidays are for what God has done, right? Yes, that's that's correct. And so, so now th- yeah. this is the question that's interesting to me because you even have the idea that they believe Jesus is God because not mm. only are they um, putting a uh, certain day of the, it's not even a day of the year they're commemorating. It's a day of the week. So it's not an annual holiday. It's a weekly holiday they attribute with the Lord, which is Jesus. And so all of their holidays, none of them are for men. So I think you can get by implication that they must have believed Jesus is God by giving him a weekly holiday. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that makes complete sense. That, that, I mean, because like you said, they didn't make a holiday at all for anyone else except for no. what God has done. And that's important. That's really important to yep. think about this. Because obviously for all the Jews, to t- these Jews that we mentioned here with the apostles and everyone, for them to turn around and say, you know what? We're going to change the Sabbath to being directed towards the Lord's day of, of Christ, of man, yeah. of physical. Skip yeah. Saturday. Go to Sunday, call it the Lord's Day. What would make strict Jews do any of that? <laughs> like, it's yeah. kind of a crazy yeah. idea. And so that's a big deal. Yeah, and then it gets even crazier because they don't tell us why they did it. Yes, and so uh, just the complete silence from the apostles is just astounding with this, with uh, with what we have here. And so um, you would like you would expect John or Paul to give a lengthy argument or apology for why they disregarded the Sabbath and inaugurated a week weekly holiday for a man— but they don't even attempt to explain it. So that would just lead us to believe that they obviously assumed that their readers would understand what they meant when they were talking about how, uh, in ex- like, the Sabbath day and not offering an explanation for why they were leaving it behind. Yeah, you'd, if you were starting in a cult, right, you think you'd explain, and this is why Sunday is now more important, yeah, and yeah. this is why we can have a holiday exactly. for our leader. Yes. But they don't. Yeah, and so like in any time when you're making a big change like that, or you're protesting against something in the church or, or something that's going, you make a definitive statement, but they're talking about this as though it's just unanimous, just everyone understands and yeah, knows this. You get it. Yeah, it's like yeah. They, they, they know, they assume you understand why. Yeah, right? and so, so why is it that they did this? So the question, like, that's the question that we need to ask is, did something happen on the first day of the week to the person who's being commemorated that would justify it being termed as his day? And if there isn't, it is, it is an extreme oddity for John to use this term without any explanation whatsoever. It's bizarre that he'd call it's it the nuts. Lord's Day. Yeah, so... Yeah. Is there something that happened on the first day of the week with this guy who's the Lord that would make this a big deal that they would expect, well, obviously everyone knows why this is an important day for us, right? Right, yeah. So obviously when we talk about it, who's the Lord, well, it's Jesus, right? Like we, we yeah, know of course. this is uh, Jesus. 
um, in 112 AD, uh, Pliny the Younger, he, he wrote this to Emperor Trajan. Uh, this is a quote. Um, he was talking about Jesus' followers, and he said, quote, They were accustomed to meet together on a stated day before it was light, to sing hymns to Christ as to a god, and to bind themselves by a sacramentum, not to any wicked purpose, but never to commit fraud, theft, adultery, never to break their word, or to refuse when called upon to deliver up their trust. Hmm. So the Lord's Day, they're sell- he says that they're, they're singing hymns to Jesus, to Christ, as to a god, right? So they, they made worshiping Jesus on that day a big aspect of it. So it, it, it makes sense that Jesus is the Lord that, that they're referring to, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So this is, this is where, um, yeah, this, this is where it's, it's interesting. Why would they be commemorating Jesus on Sunday, right? Um, and and the sacrament side of it, right? The the communion aspect of it is really bizarre because if you if you remember what communion is about, it's about don't forget how I died. Yes, exactly. Remember <laughs> that my body was brutally torn apart to shreds and crushed, and all my blood got spilled out for you. What a bizarre thing for anybody to do for a leader who got brutally killed. Like nobody does this. Mm. Nobody remembers how horrifically their leader got killed unless there's good news attached to it. Right? Yes, that's true. So so what could cause them to want to memorialize their leader with this brutal imagery of something you're eating to remember a gruesome death mm. unless there was something that took place that made sense of all of that, right? Yeah, right. And so, uh, so basically, it just I, I think that the the event that makes sense with all this data is the resurrection. Yes, I think that's the only thing that makes sense of all of these weird things coinciding together. Yeah, and so uh, we see in Matthew twenty eight one, it says, "Now after the Sabbath, as it began." to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And that, that was in Matthew 28, 1 again. And uh, the unanimous testimony of the gospel writers and other New Testament authors is that Christ had risen from the grave on that first day of the week. Absolutely. Yes. That's the event that happened that was the catalyst to ditch Saturday for Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so if that, I mean, that would be the only logical explanation to why they would be worshiping on Sunday. Yep. To to tr- completely transform, like, like generations of tradition mm-hmm. of, of, and of the law and of the law of remembering a specific day as the Lord's Day and then changing it to be Sunday based on an event. It would have to be something uh, monumental. So, so mm-hmm. in addition to this. Um, Jesus also appeared to five groups of people on the same first day. Uh, and that, that's, again, like we just said in uh, Matthew 28, one, it was Mary Magdalene and uh, other ministering women. And then he also appeared to the two disciples going to Emmaus. Emmaus, And then to Peter and then the 10 disciples who had gathered in the upper room. And so no day would be associated in the memories of the first disciples uh, with more frequent proofs of his triumph over death. 
Yeah. And then in the resurrection of Jesus, we have an adequate cause for the worship of Christians being observed on the first day of the week based on these events and seeing in the historical record that the apostles claim to be eyewitnesses of this. It makes sense that you would call it the Lord's Day. Why? Well, because that guy did something phenomenal that on that day. day <laughs> is something that the Lord did, yes. Yep. It, he it, triumphed on that mm-hmm. day. He appeared to everyone on that day. That day would be solidified in your mind as the day of Jesus. Yes, exactly. And then, again, uh, this is this is another uh, aspect of this that we, we won't get into much, but just to point out the fact, too, that that just shows further sign of Jesus abolishing the law. He's like, no, you mm-hmm. know what? That uh, I am the new law. Like, I've come to... to to fulfill it. To fulfill yep. it, yes. So that that was the whole whole idea of this. So it's crazy to see that tradition changed from moving from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. Yep. Yeah. And and this is the thing. So so the resurrection makes sense of the Lord's Day being on the first day of the week. There's no reason for Jews who were observers of the Sabbath day to switch to Sunday. If nothing happened, okay, let's say they made up this whole thing. Tyler, wouldn't you try to tie in that your Savior rose from the dead on Saturday to tie it in with the Sabbath? Well, yeah, if you were like making it up. That makes more I mean, sense, or, right, yeah, if you're creating it. Does. It. it does, because because uh, why make a ton of other Jews and other people frustrated and angry with you because you're abandoning all of their tradition? Why, like, Don't you think it would be easier to just be accepting and say, you know what, yeah, we'll just say that he rose on the Sabbath day? Yep. I, right. You try to tie it in there, but but additionally to that too, like if the resurrection didn't happen, why would the disciples try to commemorate the time that sealed the death of their leader? He, I mean, this is like admitting defeat, like he wasn't the king, he got totally brutally murdered. Why would they try to commemorate that with a holiday? Like wouldn't you, wouldn't you create more like a hey, remember the day he walked on water day? Like, that makes more sense. Or the day he gave the Sermon on the Mount day or the Mount of Transfiguration day. The day Mm. he gets killed makes no sense unless a resurrection occurred. And Mm. this this blows my mind. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead on a Sunday and they did want to commemorate his death, they would have commemorated it on a Friday because (laughs) that's the day that he died. Why would they arbitrarily pick, "Eh, actually, okay, a few days later, we're going to choose that day to remember what he did. It makes no sense. They would have picked it on Friday. So the fact that Sunday is the day of worship and Sunday has been the day of worship of the Lord because that's his day. It's the day he rose. It's the day he appeared. It's been the claim from the beginning. The fact that since the inception of Christianity, Sunday has been a day of worship, it proves something crazy had to happen on a Sunday to make strict Jews change, to make them set up a holiday for someone that they call the Lord, Yes, uh, not commemorating their leader on Friday, but commemorating him on Sunday. Something must have happened on that first Sunday morning. Yes, and so just, uh, that, that that's so true, Robbie. It's and a then, powerful argument. Yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, just th- unpacking all of this and thinking through, um, just in general, the existence of the Christian church and the, fulfill- his, the fulfillment that Jesus would bring his church in the gates of hell would not prevail. That's like, that's kind of what we're seeing here is just like this this establishment of, <laughs> worship on the Lord's day. And then, um, yeah, the gates of hell haven't prevailed against it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, I think it's really cool to, so, so this is the the point is that people go to church on Sunday. The, mm-hmm. the mere fact that this tradition exists on Sunday morning proves the resurrection happened. 
Because yeah. there's no good reason for Sunday morning to have ever started being a thing unless something crazy happened on Sunday morning. Yes, yes. And so, listener, you're going to go to church on Sunday, most of you. You sitting there on Sunday morning is an apologetic to the testimony of something happened way back 2,000 years ago on that first Sunday morning. You are an argument for the resurrection you of Jesus. You yourself worshiping on Sunday. Yeah is evidence of the resurrection. And that's why many yeah. Christians and many non-Christians who've gone and observed worship on Sundays for the last 2,000 years have actually been an argument for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's powerful, man. It's crazy, Because yeah. if you want to dismantle this argument, you've got to explain what happened right, to, yeah. to cause Sunday worship. Strict Jews who'd follow the law, nothing happened on that day because people don't rise from the dead, but why would they commemorate... They're just arbitrarily picking a day. It makes no yes. sense unless something actually occurred. Right, yeah. And so it, that's just important to think about. And so um, like, like we said again, just uh, wanted to – And I think that this passage uh, kind of reiterates this a lot. And it's in Matthew 16, 18. Uh, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter, when Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and the church has always grown. The church has tried to be stomped out, you know, multiple times, but it never, it never does because Jesus promised it never would. Yes. Um, and the fact that the church, by and large, meets on Sunday mornings to worship is is it's like a, it, it's an evidence, but it's also it's like a living testimony that hey, something happened on that first Sunday. Yeah. When you go to worship on Sunday, this is one of the reasons. Now again, we have Saturday night church here, right? Right, yeah. This is one of the reasons in my mind I'm like, I like Sunday better because it's an argument for, hey, something happened on Sunday. That's why we've yeah, been doing this yeah, for right. 2,000 years. And yeah. That's the whole point to it. And so it's it's really, this is just such a cool apologetic mm-hmm. uh, testimony to the resurrection of Jesus when you see uh, that the fact that we've been going to church on Sunday morning for 2,000 years, that, that just, just the tradition of that alone proves that there, well, there's it provides evidence that there that the resurrection had actually happened enough to change people to worship. Yep, so, it is an yeah. evidence. Now, it's not the only evidence we have. We have copious amounts of evidence. Oh yeah, and we're going to talk yeah. about more throughout the weeks. But this is an evidence, and uh, I would encourage you if you want this book that that the Reverend G. F. McClear wrote. In 1887, email me, get the book, but I'd, I'd encourage you, print out like five copies and have them with you to give to your skeptical friends. Say, hey, this will take you an hour to read. I want you to check it out and see what you think about this argument and what your rebuttal would be against it because I find it to be very, very powerful and yes. persuasive. <laughs> and man, that's a really great way to get into an apologetics conversation with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. And this time of year with Easter coming up, really, really easy opportunity to, to steer conversations towards Jesus because everybody's celebrating Easter and, and we can capitalize on, on the, the culture and the time of year it is to talk with people about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Again, join us next week as we continue this series on evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we're really grateful uh, for you, our listeners. Thanks for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Yep, thank you. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.